Good morning. If I haven't a chance to meet you, I'm Joe, and I'm the pastor here. It's good to uh, it's good to spend Easter with you all. Um, before I get into today's message, I want to give you another update. And so, sorry everyone, uh, but uh, our uh, update on initiative our church has launched this month uh, because our church and it's, it's an Easter story in my opinion. So that's why I'm sharing it. But our church is headed in a new a new season, and to embrace this new season and the new opportunities that it presents us, we've been reflecting on the story of Lazarus, which is a Easter story on its own right. He, Lazarus is a story about someone who died and Jesus brought him back to life. And, and, and actually, we'll get into it today, but Lazarus and the story of Easter uh, shadow each other. So uh, he was dead and he counted to dead, but God showed up, gave him resurrection life, and he walked again. And, and we want to be a church that lives into this kind of relentless hope, this re- resurrection power. And so we know that the best way for us to experience resurrection life is to offer resurrection life to other people. And so we're hoping to do this in a couple different ways. I'm going to share this very briefly before we get into the sermon. We're going to bring new life for our neighbors, our children, and our church. So first, new life to our neighbors. Our church has always tried to make a tangible difference in the wider city, in the wider central Ohio area. Um, And right now, many of us are deeply concerned with the rise of group and gun violence in the central Ohio area. So we've begun to have conversations with the city for how we might engage with the love of Jesus for those who are impacted by violence. And we've been participated, uh, uh, invited to participate in a violence reduction initiative that involves a variety of cities leading agencies. And as part of this, we're launching a pilot program to support families who've been impacted by violence. Uh, so we're creating a new fund that will be used to support those impacted by violence by covering things like funeral expenses, uh, maybe a, a memorial meal, anything that would help people grieve and heal. And we hope to that we can kind of intercept the cycles of violence with compassion in the name of Jesus with the hopes of reducing violence. So uh, that's the first thing. The second thing, we hope to bring new life to our uh, children by expanding our programming. Children are a big part of our community. Uh, we have quite a few people here today. Uh, some Sundays we have more, uh, we've had more kids than adults upstairs. Uh, that's just kind of like how things work sometimes at Central City Church. And uh, it's a lot of fun. We love our kids. So we're looking to expand our programming, bring on a nursery coordinator, et cetera. And then finally, bringing new life to our church by reaching new people. So as we mentioned, we're having a merger conversation. Our church is in conversation to merge with St. Luke's, and we're using this as an opportunity to reimagine how we can connect with new people. We'll become a new church. We don't know what that'll be called, whether it'll be one of our names. We don't, we're still figuring that out, but we do know we'll become a new congregation that represents people who are part of our church as well as the St. Luke's community where we share space with and we rent from. And so um, we're really hoping that this will present an opportunity to do a grand opening, community events, a block party, all that sort of stuff. So to accomplish these goals, we're looking to raise 30000 And here's why I share this. So far from early gifts and pledges and selling some church assets, uh, that we no longer use, we've been able to raise $18,000 already. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's exciting. So I share this uh, today, uh, not because I know, uh, um, I, I know people love to be generous and you're looking for places to be generous. So I think that's great. But it's also this resurrection story. God is showing up and doing some pretty cool things and helping us move into a new season. So I want to give thanks to God for that. Uh, so no pressure, but if you're interested in joining this crazy adventure, I would say similar, like if you're a guest with us today, no, you know, you don't have to, but if you're a guest with today and you do want to support it, like we welcome that as well. Like you're all, it's an invitation. You're all welcome to be a part of what God is doing here. So that's all I'm going to say about that. We're going to jump to our sermon. Before we do, let's pray. Let's take a second and um, 
as I often do, take a few deep breaths. Um, the things that you bring to the space, maybe your concerns for your lunch afterwards or the, 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 the stresses of, of, of hosting family, whatever's on your mind today, let's take a few seconds and, and, and breathe and relax and invite God to meet us. God, we give you thanks that you meet us in the silence. that the silence of Saturday often moves to the joys of Easter. We ask that you would come, speak to us. You know our hearts and our fears and our worries and our joys. You know what we need to hear. So regardless of what I have to say, God, come and speak to us in your name. Today, I want to practice an ancient form of scripture reading. I'm going to play on it a little bit called Lectio Divina. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not as it's practiced necessarily ever, but my own take on it. So in short, I'm going to read us our scripture passage today. And as I do, I want you to listen. And I want you to ask yourself, what stands out about this passage for you? Uh, what, what, what did you notice? What, what part of this passage grabbed you? And then after I've read it, I'm, I'm going to preach a little sermon, sharing my thoughts. Um, but at the end of the sermon, I'm going to read the passage again. And when I do, I'm going to invite you to ask yourself the same question. What stood out this time? What grabbed you? What did you notice? And reading a passage like this with, a, with an intention to hear from God um, while pondering these types of questions is actually a very powerful and very ancient way of reading Scripture. So here goes. Take a second and set your intention. You're listening with the intention that something might stand out that something in this passage might speak to you, that something here might be the word God has for you. So let's try that. Our passage today is John chapter 20, verses 19 to 29. Jesus has lived, died, rose again, and he appears to his disciples. And here's what the gospel of John says. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also called Didymus, uh, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it to my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. All right, no need to answer out loud, but uh, just consider what stood out to you. What did you notice? Did a particular word or part of this grab your attention? invite you to just take a mental note of that. 
You don't have to try to understand it or figure out why it stood out to you at this point. Just hold on to it. You can ponder it. If you, if you take notes, you can write it down if you want. Just hold on to it. Here's what stood out to me as I've read it uh, multiple times and prepared for today's message. I, I noticed that Jesus used his scars to identify himself, you know, that Jesus' scars was his uh, calling card and in his resurrection body that his scars were still there, that he wasn't ashamed of what had happened to him. That seems significant, maybe meaningful somehow. I noticed that here on the other side of the resurrection, he tells his disciples that they have the power to forgive, and that, that's interesting, that there's now power available to forgive. And what does that mean? But mostly, I noticed Thomas. Good old Doubting Thomas. Anyone else here is a big fan of Thomas? Yeah, I'm a fan of Thomas. I'm, I love Thomas. I always love the story mostly because I've always loved Thomas. Now, some give Thomas a bad name. You know, Doubting Thomas is his uh, nickname. But that's, that's not the whole story. Thomas is easily my favorite disciple because he's willing to be honest about his doubts. He hears the story of Jesus coming back to life, and he says, I'm calling BS. That's not how this works. I mean, how many people have you seen come back from the dead? And here's the thing about doubts. When you, and I know many of you will relate to this, when you are surrounded by people who find it easy to believe, being honest about your doubts takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? Because there's like almost a shame attached to it. So maybe not doubting Thomas, maybe you should call him Courageous Thomas. As I was preparing the sermon and reflecting on Thomas and the resurrection, on doubts and new life, I was struggling to maybe connect some of the dots. So I felt like something was missing, so I went to the logical place uh, to get some uh, wisdom. I went to Facebook, and I, I asked my friends what they wished their pastor would say on Easter. Um, I figured you can't go wrong there. And my friend David, who used to be a pastor and not anymore, he said, like Thomas, uh, is one of the more courageous people I know. He said this. This is his comment. He says, uh, this is what he wishes a pastor would say, an honest recognition that all of this sounds like BS. Resurrection, walking through walls, angels, gospel accounts that don't match, etc. And why you choose to believe and how that belief affects your life. And I read that and I said, David, challenge accepted. <laughs> That's, there it is. That, that, that was kind of like what I felt I like was missing. So, so, so I, I, I've been wrestling with it. I, I started asking the question, why do I still believe? These fanciful stories. Stories that don't always match up with my reality. The answer for why I believe is actually found in the example of Thomas. Like Thomas, I believe because I doubt. And because I'm willing to bring those doubts to God. And for me, I've found God is willing to respond to them. Like Jesus did to Thomas. I was thinking about this, and this is something that I have thought about for a long time. I, I've wrestled with, like, what is my faith look? How do I communicate my faith? As a pastor, you know, I, wanna, I want to share my story as much as anyone wants to share their story about what faith means to them. And I've really wrestled with how to explain what faith means to me. And uh, I was thinking about it in this, this particular sermon, finding a way to explain what faith looks like to me. And, and, and I think it's, it's not about choosing to believe for me. It's it, as much as it's about willing to believe, there's slightly difference there. Like, I'm, I'm just trying to be open-minded enough to consider the possibility that God is real and that it, God is somehow interested in having a connection with me. I'm just, I try to be open to it. And I really struggled to explain this until I thought of this 
example that I'm going to spend today on. It's a great example. It, 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 it helps explain my deepest feelings. Um, and uh, uh, here, here's how it is. I hope, hope you'll be able to connect with this. In our family, we love a good treasure hunt. All right? For example, we love the National Treasure movies. Are you familiar with these? This is my Easter sermon, everyone. How many have seen uh, the movie? They also have a TV show. We've watched it. Uh, me, and, me and Finn uh, and Alyssa, we all enjoyed it. It's great. Uh, how, many, how many are you familiar with this? All right, for the rest of you, here's what happens. Uh, it's about these stories with this secret hidden treasures, these big historic treasures, and the people who are going after it. It's about treasure hunters. And, and one of the major points of conflict in these stories, it has to do with whether the treasure is actually real. Right? So the people hunting for the treasure, they believe it's real. And that's why they're searching for it. But most everyone else around them, their family and their friends, thinks it's a complete waste of time and energy, like they've wasted their life looking for these treasures. So the family and the friends of the treasures, they think they're crazy. They spend their life looking for a treasure that doesn't exist. They're wasting their time. They're following clues that are ultimately going to lead nowhere. They're wasting their lives looking for something that isn't there. But the treasure hunters, oh, this is how this, every one of these stores goes. They, they keep going because they believe the treasure's there. Now, as the story goes, as often the case, they face dead end after dead end, and soon some of the treasure hunters even begin to doubt whether the treasure's real, right? They worry. Everyone was right. They must have just been crazy. But then in the end, of course, what happens? They find the treasure! Yeah, it's a Disney movie. Come on, guys. It's going to end in a happy place. You know, Jesus uh, compared the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom of heaven, to a treasure once. A treasure hidden in a field. He tells a story of somebody who's willing to sell everything, give, give up his whole life to go after that treasure, to find it. Even doing some things that everyone else might have thought was crazy. All for this treasure that no one else even knew was there. And I think it's a pretty good analogy for faith. It's, it's a metaphor that I want to play with today. And uh, I'm going to have a little bit of fun with this, hopefully. Uh, it's going to feel a little workshoppy, but we're going to get into it. So as we think about God as a hidden treasure, I, I, there's a lot of ways to respond to this. I've, I've come up with four. Four ways to respond, and I decided to chart it out. Who here loves a good chart? <laughs> All right, two of you. Three. Oh, good. Um, on the vertical axis, you can either believe there's a treasure or not, right? So faith or doubt, right? Faith, you're like, there's a treasure. Doubt's like, I don't know. I don't think there's a treasure. And then on the horizontal axis, you can believe, uh, uh, you can either choose to seek that treasure, look for it, or you can ignore it or dismiss it, you know, and say, that's ah, not worth my time. Um, so does that make sense so far? These, okay, I don't want to lose anyone here. So let's talk about four responses. Let's start with those who believe there's a treasure and they choose to go looking for it, all right? So this quadrant right here. You can go to the next slide, I believe. Yeah, right there, all right? Last summer, our family was with my parents and uh, we, we have all these kids. My, my family has, my, my parents have seven kids and now we all have kids and so there's just a lot of kids. It's one of those things. So there's tons of kids. Finn's got all these cousins that are his age and we're all in this house and it's chaos. So me and my brother come up with this great idea. We come up with a scavenger hunt. 
You ever put a scavenger hunt together? We, we went all out. My brother's an artist, so he drew little pictures for it. And, and I, uh, I, I did some, like, I made it riddles that also rhymed. Like, we spent some time on this, all right? And the kids, they were so excited. So they, 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 get this, they get these riddles, and one riddle clue leads to the next one. I mean, it's national treasure for kids. I mean, that's what's happening here. And they have to run all around the yard. And, of course, it doesn't take as long as we had hoped it would, but it's still fun. And at the end, you know, there's this treasure. Now, don't hate me, but it ended up being just some like fresh fruit, but like whatever. They had already had too much candy. That's just how the story goes. So there's this treasure at the end of it. And here's the thing. They loved it. And they ran between clues. As soon as they figured out a clue, they were going to the next one. You know why? Because they believed they would lead somewhere. Those naive little children. They honestly, and to be fair, it did. But they believed us naively. They didn't even consider that it wouldn't lead somewhere. They would have been mad if it hadn't led somewhere. They were children. We sent them on this hunt. They went looking for it, and they found what they were looking for, and they had great fun. Later today, we're going to have uh, you know, kids go on an Easter egg hunt, our own little national treasure right here. It's a treasure hunt, right? And my guess is that they will be excited and put a lot of effort into finding Easter eggs. Why? Because they will innocently believe that there are eggs. And that there's good things in those eggs. And I'm pretty sure for 99.9% of those eggs, there are things in them. You know, the, the 1%, I don't know. But how horrible would it be if there wasn't? If the eggs were empty, it would be traumatic, right? And let me pause and say that might how some of us feel about faith and religion. You see, you see where I'm going? But the kids believe that there are treasures to be found, so they joyously and excitedly look for them. They believe, and they decide to look. So that's what I call this quadrant, faith like a child. Faith like a child. Oh, this faith is beautiful. It's innocent. It's the best kind of faith. Uh, They believe, and because of their faith, they go on a hunt for the treasure. They find it. You know, Jesus often talks about how having faith like a child. It's those people who believe in God so much, they, they put energy into looking for God. They set their intentions to find God. And of course they find God, because I believe God can be found. And it's beautiful. But this kind of faith is not the only way to respond to a hidden treasure, is it? It's possible to have faith and ignore the hunt. For example, if I told you that right in this room there were a few Easter eggs hidden for adults to find, and that there were special treats in there for adults, some of you would respond with the faith of a child and go looking and maybe have fun doing it. But others like myself, would say, I believe you. I, like, Joe, you wouldn't lie about that. That would be such a stupid thing to lie about. In fact, I had to rush downstairs during the song to get some Easter eggs to put them in there just so I wasn't lying to you. Person of integrity here. I wouldn't lie about it, but, like, there's no, you know, I'm not interested. You know, I'm good. Like, I don't need to go on an Easter egg hunt. Like, I believe you, I'm just not interested. I might call this, and I really struggle with a name here, so just, if this bothers you, just whatever. Just ignore it. I'm not trying to shame anyone. But, you know, like nominally religious, spiritual people, you know? And, and I've been this at times. I, I, I believe that at times, 100%, that God exists. That God's out there. But that doesn't mean that I care enough to do something about it. 
It's possible to believe and not care or, or not respond to our faith. Now, there are loads of ways that you, we can respond to our faith, loads of ways that we can follow the trail of the little clues of this hidden treasure. We, we can gather in worship. We can pray. We can read scripture. We can engage in social justice. We can serve others. We can engage in violence reduction. We can give generously. And I think each of these are little clues that we experience that help us on this treasure hunt. In fact, every time I preach, I, I pray that I'm giving you just another little riddle, a little clue that will help you on whatever journey you're on. But it is possible to believe in God, believe that there's a treasure, but do nothing about it. And this might be one of the sadder places to find ourselves at times, because the search for the treasure is the best part of the faith. You know, believing that there is a God is not nearly as much fun. This is Enneagram 7 preaching here. Believing there is a God is not nearly as much fun as searching for God. It's far more fun to do something about it, to put energy into it in whatever way makes sense for you. So you can believe and seek like a child. You can also believe and ignore, but you can also have doubts or downright not believe at all and choose to ignore. It's what we might call an agnostic or an atheist. Once again, maybe not the perfect analogy here, but work with me, just don't judge me, it's fine. If you don't believe there's a God, you don't think there's a hidden treasure out there, it's entirely reasonable to not spend time and energy looking for God, wouldn't you say? And I have respect for anyone here. In fact, most of the people in treasure hunt movies fall into this category. They don't believe there's a treasure, so they aren't wasting their time looking for it. And that's fair. And if that's you today, and someone dragged you to church, or maybe you just wanted to experience the holiday, or maybe you used to believe, wherever you are, I in no way want to pressure you to believe something you don't believe. You do you. My only challenge for you comes from my own doubts. And it's a challenge I think our agnostic friends take seriously. It's just, it, it, and this gets a little philosophical, it's just, it's impossible to prove a negative. You, you can claim all day long that there is no treasure, and that's fair and reasonable position to take, but there's no real way to prove there's no treasure. You just can't prove that. And, and what I know from history is that people who make the biggest difference in the world go after the things that other people tell them aren't true. That's impossible. And that is faith. So for those of you who haven't gone looking because you don't think it's there, I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying you don't, you don't have to look down on those who do, right? How, how can we be sure there isn't a treasure out there? No matter how long it takes you to find it, it could still be out there. Now, it might not be worth your time, and that's fine. But certainly, we can respect those who are, even in your doubts. Which leads us to the last quadrant. You can have doubts and still go looking. And this quadrant is where we find the story of Thomas. You see, Thomas couldn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. He says, I won't believe it until I see it. But he was curious enough. He could have said, I won't believe it until I see it, and then stay home and go on with his life. But look what he does. John 20, verse 26, he says, A week later, his disciples were in the house again. They gathered again on Sunday. And Thomas was there with them. And Thomas was with them. He took the challenge. You know, he went on the scavenger hunt. He decided to look for the treasure. Not because he believed, because he was curious. His doubts sent him seeking. And that's, that's what I love about faith. You can find God because you're looking for God out of faith or because you're looking for God out of doubts. Either way, we find what we seek. And this is why I still believe. It's not, it's not that I choose to believe. It's that I'm willing to believe. I'm, I'm open to it. And when life gets overwhelming, 
and everything seems to fall apart. And I start to wonder if God is really there or really doing anything or whether any of this matters. And I have been there like not that long ago, like a couple weeks ago, I felt this at times. I think of like Thomas and, and I try to just show up where I think Jesus might be. I just, I, I, I stop and I pray and I ask, I, I've prayed this so many times. I say, God, if you're there, I need you. You've got to do something. And what's funny about God is God never does something in that moment. But within a couple days or sometimes months, oh, I try to show up to church. I try to show up to serve. I try to, sometimes I walk out in, in creation and nature. I, 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 I go looking for the treasure. And here's what I can say just for myself. And this is just me. When I sincerely seek God, when I go out asking for God to show up, I find that God does. And honestly, that's why I still believe. Because when I am at my lowest, when I am most desperate, when I am hurting, when I am doubting, when I am questioning, right when I'm ready to throw in the towel, something happens. So, so that's my invitation today. I'm not trying to move you from a place of, of doubt to faith, you know, uh, from the bottom half to the top half. It's an invitation today. If I offer any invitation today, it's a move from a place of ignoring or avoidance to a place of seeking. From, from the right side to the left side. That, that's my invitation this Easter and next Easter might be different. To be like Thomas, if that's you, to seek, to look, to investigate, to show up, to engage, to give it a try. It's like what it says back in Deuteronomy 4.29, and it says this in a couple different places of Scripture. But it says, if you seek the Lord, your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. It takes this like willingness to give your all when you seek sincerely with all you have. If God is real, it's only fair to seek it with everything that you have because what an opportunity to miss out. Or as we read in Mark 9, 23 to 24, when Jesus encounters someone who's asking Jesus for help, Jesus says, uh, everything is possible for one who believes. And, and this reply is one of my favorite verses in all scripture. It's a Thomas reply. It's not Thomas, but it's Thomas-like. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's the response of someone who has doubts but is willing to give it a try. I believe. Help my unbelief. God is inviting us on a treasure hunt, a journey to see if we can find something that brings value to our life. And here's what I can say with certainty. When I seek God, I eventually find God. And I find God in random calls from loved ones encouraging me in the way that I needed. I find God uh, in specific generous donations from people in our church that was the exact amount needed in order to make payroll that week, even though they didn't know that was our problem. I find God in the love that others show me and in the love that I feel others uh, feel for others. I find God in coincidence. You might say it's just coincidence, but I, I see God in that. When circumstances line up in unpredictable ways, just the way we need them to line up. I find God in hope. When suffering is overwhelming, God gives me yet one more, what I need that day to make it one more day. And when God, you know, helps me overcome suffering, when I'm able to look back on suffering and find meaning in it and find a lesson that I learned, that I see God, I mean, that's the story of the resurrection. And isn't it that Jesus suffered, but that wasn't the end of the story, that God did something good with it? And that changes the way I view life. So I find God when I seek God, not always right away, sometimes after long periods of struggle, but like any treasure hunt, I find God because I don't give up. And I have to say, 
that my life is richer and better and more meaningful since spending my life on this journey. This has my, my, been my experience. I have what I need to live. I, I find myself like the disciples with the power to forgive people who've wronged me. I have the power that I didn't have before to love myself, to forgive myself, to, to love other people, to, to love my enemies even. Whew. I don't know how anyone does that without God. I have the power somehow now on the other side of the road to imagine a world where justice prevails. And let me tell you, that's hard to imagine sometimes. But imagine a world where justice prevails and where good actually overcomes evil because sometimes that's hard to believe too. But all of this changes me from the inside out because I, I choose to seek after this treasure, looking for the next clue and the next clues. And other people might look at me and say, you're crazy. There ain't nothing at the end of that. I say, well, whew. The journey's half the fun. That's what resurrection life looks like to me. New opportunities, new life, new chances, new forgiveness, and a grace that never runs out. That's what Easter means to me. I want to read this story again, this Easter story, Jesus showing up to his disciples. And I invite you to set your intention. You see, the way of, uh, this way of reading Scripture is a small way to start this scavenger hunt for God. It's a, as simple as setting your intention, asking yourself what stands out. What might God be saying to you? Asking these questions is a way of putting yourself out there, whether in faith or in doubt, to see if God shows up. So if something stands out to you and you sense it's meant for you, it might just be that God is giving you the next clue on whatever journey you find yourself. So hear these words and see if anything stands out to you. I invite you as you hear these words, if you feel so inclined, you can close your eyes um, into a, and, 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 and sometimes when we put ourselves into a posture of receiving, that helps as well. So if you're interested, you can open your hands and place them in your lap as a way of receiving uh, whatever feels comfortable for you. But I hear these words uh, from the gospel of John, John 20, 19 to 29. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I invite you, if there was a word or a phrase or an image that came to mind as you heard this, if something stood out to you, 
It could stay out to you, stand out to you because it encouraged you, because it bothered you, because it annoyed you. There's a lot of ways that things can stand out to you. I, I invite you today to ponder that. Ponder it. Treat it almost like a clue. What, what if that was from God? What, what might God be trying to say to you this Easter? Wrestle with it. You might not figure it out right away. That's the idea of clues and treasure hunts. Give yourself time. Think about it today. Think about it this week. Talk to your family. Ask the question. When, when the passage was read, what, what did you notice? That's my invitation today. Let's pray. God, we come before you. We give you thanks for the ways in which you show up in our lives. That even when we don't sense your presence, even when we don't have anything that stands out, even when we feel like you're silent, we can trust that you're still there. That you are our Emmanuel, God with us. That you love us. That you're with us. And that because of Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, not only, not even death can separate us from your great love. For you are risen. You are risen indeed. And all of God's people said, amen.